Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. Dagan, thank you so much for joining me today. The McLovin of Knockback. The McLovin. You are the McLovin of Knockback. Are they? Well, I think a little bit. You know, the <laughs> one name. We have to find just one name for you. I mean, we call you Dagan. That's your first name. Yeah. But what if we, we could just identify you generally? A single name. You have kind of one of the names where no one's going to know a Dagan other than you. Yeah, not what are the chance? What would the chances? Be? I mean, have you ever encountered another Dagan before in your life? Uh, there are some around. You know, when I saw my first one, this is really odd, but my sister-in-law Cheryl, you know Cheryl, call Helene's sister, yes. younger sister, when she graduated, she went to school for photography at Tyler in Philly, and when she graduated, she had like a senior show, and everybody, all the various artists, I think not only from the photography departments, but from all fine arts, graphic design, all the departments had like a show up at a really nice spot some, somewhere up in North Philly. And there was a Dagan showing their work at the show, and it was like skateboard graphic type stuff, oddly enough. Graphical, must have been a graphic design student. I'm not sure if it was a, uh, like a male or a female. Interesting. But that, I thought that, that was the first time I encountered that. But now with the internet, you just Google it, you could see... There's a million Dagans. Yeah, but probably not another Dagan Moriarty, right? I mean, that's, oh, I don't think there's another because there are a lot be... of Colin Moriartys. There's quite a few. Is there really? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, we never discussed this. Yeah, yeah. Imposters. I would say so. I, I think I've talked about this in the past, but <laughs> there was a guy that emailed me when I was a writer at GameFAQs in high school. Yeah, that was also named Colin Moriarty, but he messaged me to let me know that he was older than me, and therefore he was oh. the real Colin Moriarty as were. And I was what? like, what? It's a great exception to yeah, this. Yeah, I guess I can't dispute that. I wonder if you Google your name now, Colin Moriarty, who comes up. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. Just a day. You know, for better in or for worse. In all fairness. For better or for worse. In all fairness, my friend. Well, Dave, as you already revealed, today's episode of Knockback is dedicated to the 2007 film Superbad, which we're going to talk about in just a few moments. But before we do, I just Absolutely. wanted to let you all know, show is supported on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad-free access. The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, etc., etc. Your support over there really helps us. We appreciate it. Knockback is growing by leaps and bounds. I was showing Dagan the traffic before. We are up month over month over month, I believe, in fact, which is pretty cool. You so, guys are the bestest. Thank you for right. listening. You're right. You're also the best, Kyle. Thank you. What we need to do, here's what, here's a thought. Mm. We need to come up with a McLovin styled name for our listeners we don't really have like knockbackers or something no like that. what can we call them i don't know i don't Let's think i've long that. resisted yeah this sort of thing you have you've I, thought about this before i've thought well we, i used to be first of all work at companies where we had names for the audience and stuff like that sure sure yes you had yes you did <laughs> i don't know I, I i think it's nice it's endearing on one hand yeah i feel like it's 
a little gimmicky on the other hand. You know what I mean? We don't want to be gimmicky, right? No. You're all individual men and women out there, etc. I mean, and also, we, as we made clear, non-binary individuals. Yes. People. Etc. Non-identifying. Yes. Human. Well, unless maybe not. Maybe not. You were born human. So. (laughs) So for me, I. I look at it and I'm like, well, it's very nice and endearing. It would be fun to have a name, right? On yeah, one hand. Yeah, it sounds fun. But then you don't want to reduce the audience to just this amalgamation right. of, like, it removes the texture and the agency they have over their fandom. And their in individual way. identities. Maybe. Exactly. Well, how did, in, in, pa- in the past, not to go into this too much, but in the past, how did those people feel about being called a certain thing? I think did some people like liked it? it and I think some people don't. Okay. I think a lot of people made fun of it. Fair enough. Like a kind of funny we use, I think they still use the term best friends. Right. I was always like, I don't know about that term. Yeah. I don't know about that they because still, they still run with that. I think uh, I'm assuming. that seems a little weird to me because that almost, like, come on, we're not best friends. Right. We're not best. friends. I don't have any friends. <laughs> like if I have no friends in my real life, you think you, you think you and me are friends? <laughs> right. Come right. On. Right. No, I, I appreciate it, though. I, I think it's a the heart's I, in the right place. Exactly. Or I don't like think that. anyone's doing anything wrong with it. But right. For me, I just well, we just have an egalitarian sort of thing going on over here. Some sort of bohemian thing going on over here. We don't have to I like worry. that better. Actually. We don't have to worry about that. All right. Fair we don't have to enough. worry about that. Now, Dave, before I get into anything else, I have yeah. to I have to say, because it's still I can't stop thinking about it. Please. Just a couple hours ago. Not even. I pooped a poop. Oh, you're going to you're going to you're going to talk about this. <sighs> Let's talk. I'll about tell it. you. I mean, I got to just say. And I'm not trying to be perverted. Well, it's not perverted. What would it be? It would be, not perverted, it would be no, no, not perverted. I mean, I would like to be perverted, but. Uh, disgusting, let's just say. Okay, you know, disgusting. We don't think it's too crazy with, the, right. with the verbiage. But <laughs> usually I have, you know, as the audience knows, I have lifelong colon and stomach problems. I have ulcers and, you know. You're a mess. IBS. It's, it's really not good. And so I have these really familiar stomach bouts that have actually gone away in my 30s for the most part, which is surprising because I don't know why. As my life has just gotten crazier and more hectic, I guess, in some ways, I, that the problems have gone away. But. I just had a, an episode unlike any I've ever had before because it wasn't to do with like this this unholy chemistry going on inside my body. I just had a poop that was just lodged right there in the butthole and just wasn't wasn't budging. Dude, it felt like an asteroid was being pulled through my asshole. <laughs> That's not good. I don't understand. I can feel it all. right now. To this very day, I can feel it coming on. You know, like just it's it's too much and. I'll also say that for all of the pain that I experienced, yeah, profuse sweating, all these other things that were happening, it's not good, dude. I was pretty sure this thing wasn't coming out unless I, unless someone reached a, a gloved hand up there and ripped it up out of me. <laughs> all right, you know what I'm thinking of? Please the queen alien laying her eggs. Yes, at the I end was of aliens. Yes, it's funny. I was thinking <laughs> so, of aliens as well. Oh my God. We're doing an episode later on alien, and I didn't want to spoil that for anyone. Sure. It did remind me of that I thought something was going to explode out of me. I didn't oh, think it dude. was coming out in a natural way. I thought it was going to come out in an inhuman way. And I just I don't think I'll ever forget that as yeah, long as I as is. long as I live. Uh, well, I'm glad you don't go through it frequently enough for it to stand out. But we got to we got to get a little more roughage in there. I think my so. Friend. I think so. Which is surprising because I was telling you when we were walking home, I was like, I eat salad. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Yeah, we well, were just talking about it. Moments not, before this happened. Apparently not enough. So that was rough going. Something came out of the colon and. I just needed to tell someone that. You got to get some butter lettuce in you, my friend. Oh, my God. You like butter lettuce? I'm a big fan. It's pretty good. That That's the lettuce that comes in like the little thing where the where the the roots are like wrapped around the thing on the bottom. Oh, right? I don't know if I've ever seen it like that. They you may know, have you ever like seen that. a lettuce like that where they have the lettuce and yes, it's I have. also in the thing with the. Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, that could. I mean, I guess they could do it that way with mm. a butter lettuce. Butter lettuce just looks like a. It's a softer, smaller. Looks like a iceberg lettuce, but it's looser and softer, right, and right. smaller, nicer quality. Iceberg you know. lettuce is kind of nonsense. You ever really sit and think it's about just it? water? They say it's. It's just carelessly wrapped in cellophane, just thrown, thrown in this wet thing. part. The cheapest, of, fucking disgusting. Cheapest lettuce. Every once in a while, I'll have lettuce, but. I don't it's really refreshing see it. iceberg lettuce, yeah. but supposedly there's no nutritional content in it. I believe that. Same it's with like celery. Water. It's I think. just water. Yeah. That's all it is. Well, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, Dagan, before we get into our conversation Please. about Super Bad, we're doing a new opening segment, so I'll kick it over to you. Opening segment, super simple. Har- something hearkening back to our childhoods, a little retro, a little taste of retro, a little something, a little taste of ta- something tactile. We're just going to do a Mad Lib. Just a Mad Lib call. Love that. You know, I got to ask you a question. I dropped a pen before. Has this ever happened to you? Listeners out there, has this ever happened to you as well? I dropped a pen. It's gone. I can't find it. It's. Do mm-hmm. you ever drop something and it just disappears Absolutely. off the face of the planet? Yes. What is that phenomenon? I don't know. It's It's like, always it's what I say gone. too. It's nowhere. It's got to be somewhere. That's the thing. It's got to be somewhere. I don't think it is. Is it in the couch perhaps? In the couch you're sitting on? No, there? it fell on the floor. I heard it hit the floor. Oh, this was earlier today before we, we, we recorded our first podcast. I'll, I'll probably today. come across it at some point. Maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe it's gone forever. I think there's a dimensional thing going on with it. I really do think so. Some kind of dimensional rift perhaps? I don't know. It's unanswerable. I, I don't know, my friend. All right. <laughs> Kyle, you come with the with the answers. Okay. And then we'll fill in the... Oh, this should, be, this should be a funny one. Okay. I'll tell you the title after we're done. Okay, Kyle, give me a plural noun. Plural noun. Please. Stars. Okay. Give me the last name of a person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Moriarty. All right. That's good, a good choice. One. Good choice. Give me another noun. Another noun. Grass. Blade. Blade of grass. <laughs> Why am I struggling with this Why so much? <laughs> God, afraid to ask for the next one. Give me a plural noun. I'm so uh, guitars. Well, you're spent now after that episode you had in the bathroom. Oh my I God, think. I have no mental energy. I have no, I have no acuity right uh, now. I'm very sorry that that happened. Give me a verb and an adverb. A verb and an adverb. They're separate. Hmm. Uh, I want to think about this now. Just give me a moment. Yeah, that's okay. Take your time. We don't have that. This one's actually quickly nice. running. Okay. You got it. Okay. Give me an adjective. Mm, red. Okay. Give me a plural noun again. Wow, they're asking for a lot of, pl- a lot of plural nouns system. today. Trucks. Okay. And give me a part of the body plural. Knees. Okay, that's a good one. Thank you. Give me two more nouns. Wow, they're really de- being demanding of, of the nouns noun today. A lot of nouns. Water bottle. Okay. Is one noun. Okay. <laughs> Ice cream cone. Okay. It's really funny about Mad Libs. Do you remember doing these when you were little? And yeah. sometimes they would just be so funny. Like you would just laugh for 15 minutes straight. You know? Yeah, they, it was simple pleasures. It, it was Wasn't so it? It, Yeah, it was. And then when you got older, you learned to get a little more, a little ruder with your answers. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe put some curse words in there. Yeah. You, know? you, you manipulate the results a little <laughs> bit. Uh, okay. Give me a noun and an adjective. A noun and an adjective. 
God, they're really being demanding with the nouns. There's Beach ball. Nouns. Okay, good one. And an adjective? Please. Bright. Okay, that's a good one. And give me another body part in plural. Thumbs. Okay, and we're going to finish it with two separate plural nouns. Two separate plural nouns. Not surprisingly. Cords, C-O-R-D-S. Okay, good. And paintbrushes. All right. <laughs> this should be an interesting one. All right, Carl. The title of this Mad Lib is Penguin Facts. Oh. Penguin Facts. Facts about penguins. So, Kyle, fellow bird stars, we are honored to have as our speaker today, Dr. Moriarty, America's foremost blade of grass on penguins and other cold climate guitars. <laughs> the doctor has quickly agreed to answer three questions before, before we run for lunch. Why do penguins walk in such a red way? You'd walk funny, too, if every step you took put your knees on frozen trucks. <sighs> Next. It's really. How do penguins manage to ice cream cone in such a cold water bottle? <laughs> they have an abundance of beach ball under their thumbs. This fat insulates them against bright weather. Next question. Why do we see only black and white penguins? Because they're very formal cords. They dress for all occasions, especially sit-down paintbrushes. Oh, oh, Mad Libs! That was terrible. I mean, we, I didn't give you great answers, but we gotta, we gotta. How are we gonna? How can we? How can we make it funny on purpose? We gotta figure it out. We'll I don't figure it out. Yeah, we'll. I mean, we have we'll time. Figure it out. We have time because oh, I, I like feel like those were uh, those were fine answers. I don't. I don't feel like that was a very thoughtful one, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I kind of pity the Mad Lib writer, though. How do they know? I know. You never know what's going to go in there. How is it going to work? Is it not going to work? I'm thinking now maybe give themed answers. Like you don't know the theme of what I'm going to of what you're filling in the blanks for, but maybe give themed answers and see how that works. Yeah, okay, that's a nice idea. You know, so yeah. okay, that's a little, we'll play with that. We'll play with it. This is hey, we're exploring here. We'll consider it. We'll consider it. I consider them linked. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't we done a Patriot one yet? So know, it people makes are no actually sense. asking for it. <laughs> How long are we going to put that off for? Well, Dave, today we're going to talk about Superbad. Came out August 17th, 2007, right after I moved to San Francisco. Those were heady days. They were heady days. They made were. on a $20 million budget, which I actually found quite high. I thought it would be a little bit lower than that. And a $170 hmm. million dollar box office take. It's widely considered one of the great teen comedies of the 21st century. Some call it one of the great high school movies of all time. I don't I don't know that I even consider it a real high school movie, and I'll be interested to talk to you about that. That's interesting. I think it's a little too crazy for it to be... A high school film? You know, Breakfast Club's a high school movie. Sure. That's the consummate high school movie. Right, exactly. Or yeah. even something with a little more humor. I don't know. What's a good example? Of another high school film? Yeah, like that's like a little funnier. In other words, I'm not trying to say that it's not possible to have a zany over the top comedy, but it's yeah to me this we'll get into it a little bit further, obviously. But to me, this is just more of a straight up comedy as opposed to a themed comedy because it's about the high school students. But actually, it's also about two cops. So <laughs> it definitely is. So we'll get into all of that. But Dave, right. I actually don't remember when I first saw this movie, and I think I've only seen it. I watched it just last night or two nights ago. Yeah, but I think that might have been the second or third time I've ever seen it. And I didn't see it in a the theater for sure, but I, I, I think if I ever recall, I probably got it on disc, like on DV, like Netflix when they mailed you DVDs. Okay. 
Do you remember seeing this film? That would be of that era, so that would make sense. Yeah, oh yeah, this movie, part of the reason why I love this movie so much, Kyle, I don't know if I've ever told you about this before, how it, you know, how, why it resonates for me so well, this movie, is that this is the film that, this is the comedy that gave me levity in my life at a really stressful time in my life because I was a brand new dad. My first kid, my daughter, was born in March of 2007, and this movie was on cable just probably by the summertime i think it was already on cable and this got me through my early months as being a first-time dad and the stresses that came along with that this was the levity in my life i watched it there was a period of time where i literally watched it almost every night i think it had it had a run on either hbo or cinemax i'm not sure which one and i loved it it was so funny this movie was struck me as so funny and it just really hit a chord with me and struck my funny bone so hard that it really just took me away. It took me away for a little while. It, it got me out of the zone of being so stressed out all the time. And just being a new dad, I think I was so anxious because, you know, you just, it's a new thing. It's like any milestone. It's like getting married or buying a house, having that first kid, you worry about them. And also the stresses that come along with, you know, Lilia, my daughter, who was born in 2007, she was a pretty tough baby. She didn't sleep well. She was up a lot at night. We, she kind of co-slept with us because she just wouldn't go to sleep at night. She didn't nap. She didn't nap. She napped maybe for like the first year. And after that, she didn't sleep. Where my son, who came later, who came in 2010, Graydon was the complete opposite. He was just really easy when it came to all that stuff. Thank God. So I needed that levity in my life. And Superbad was, we've talked about in the, in the past, uh, The Wedding Crashers as being another big movie for me that gave me some levity in a stressful time. And that was when my, that was literally when my wife was going through labor. That got me through that period. So you know me. I always need something to get me through those those times. And that's why Superbad really shines for me because I watched it so Probably by the time it finished its run that summer on cable, I had already seen it like 20 or 25 times. Watched that movie th- this that many times. It was unbelievable. Maybe it's, more than any other comedy. It's a special film. I don't know why in watching it, I don't know why I hadn't seen it more because I love really crude humor. I I think the audience knows that I have a total potty mouth. I love awful, inappropriate jokes, and I find that (laughs) stuff really funny. And I got to be honest, like even stuff that you probably shouldn't be laughing at in this movie in the modern era is funny as hell to me still to this day. We were just watching a scene Michael Sarah calls after the penis story, which we'll talk about. You know, he's like he's just like very flatly saying that's gay (laughs) like that's that's you wouldn't say that anymore you might have even it's actually kind of even provocative for 2007 although they wrote the movie in the late 90s early 2000s when we were calling everything gay but that's true i was it's so hard it's nice to be able to laugh through that lens of like well it's like watching a stand-up it's like i would never say that but it's certainly pretty funny nonetheless and so watching it, it was funny because we have a few movies in this run that you wanted to do. And I I, the, I, I guess it's not that much of a spoiler, but we're going to do one on Goodfellas and one on Alien that will be coming out in the coming months. Oh, I can't wait. And I was way more eager to watch those and watch those pretty quickly once you had given me the list. I was like, oh, I haven't seen Alien in forever. I love, I want to watch that. And Goodfellas, obviously, is immensely watchable. Superbad was one I put off for some reason where I'm like, I don't know. And it's I'll an get, easy I'll, one. Super bad's easy. Yeah, exactly. Too. It's an easy one to watch. An easy, easy one, easy to digest. Talk about. But I don't understand why I feel that way. There's so many comedies from that era, from like 2002 or 2003 to 2010, I would say, that are really good, including some associated ones like Pineapple Express and Grandma's Boy, but also just 
movies like 40 year old virgin and sure. wedding crashers and others that are really uh, bridesmaids is probably towards the tail end of that where yeah that's 2011 i think where there's just a lot of really unexpectedly funny 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 movies Absolutely. from that era and that are unexpected whether it's because like i don't know i, I would look at this as a 2007 i was 22 23 years old i'd be like who the fuck is michael Sarah and jonah you know jonah hill i don't need to watch this i have no need to see this and i felt that way about 40 year old virgin yeah back in the day too and others and then without fail really these movies all ended up being classically Classics funny in some way yeah so i it was a little confusing because i was watching it and laughing hysterically the entire time i was watching it. i'm like why was i so why did i put this off till last like as if it, it, it was like an inferior movie to the other two or whatever. Right. No, I could it probably see is an that. inferior movie to the other two. You don't two. hear that much about, but I mean, when you talk about all the movies you just mentioned and Superbad as well, they're, they're credited with, you know, sort of bringing back comedy, sort of bringing back and reviving the comedy genre a little bit, those films, which is also really interesting. Espe- especially you think of a film like 40 year old virgin. We'll, we'll definitely do it. We'll surely do an episode on that yeah that movie actually makes me piss my pants it, i you want to talk about inappropriate oh it's so completely good. inappropriate shit the the indian guy's indian right that the, oh, they work that, with that his, character is classic just classic and what, another judd apatel movie when he know? talks about the pussy juice cocktail it's like it's too much <laughs> it's too much the butthole pleasures and the pussy juice cocktail <laughs> Sorry if anyone's listening out there with kids too late. Uh, All right. So, Dig, by the way, you said that this was on. I just want to clarify. You said it was on during the the movie came out in the summer of 2017 or 2007, rather. So the HBO run might have been in that fall. Okay, it must have been fall. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But how would you? Oh, the movie came out in 2007. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering how you would describe this film, because one big note I made on my in my notes when I was preparing was. It is, and it's funny, you read the synopses of the movie, too, if you go to IMDb or something and read, like, the different things people write about it. It's always described in some reduction of two high school boys try to get alcohol for a party and they want to get laid by their girls or whatever. Sure. Or these girls that they like. But actually, to me, the movie is pretty distinctly two different stories. And even though they're there for levity, the cops in the movie and McLovin, obviously, and their adventure together play just as big of a role and I feel like are never really explored like it's their story through their lens too we just don't see the entire thing or we don't look at it as their story it's very weird yeah that's their whole involvement in the movie the two cop characters is actually very strange and the movie wouldn't be very good without them in it if it was just if it was just the boys interacting with each other constantly they're really funny but if it was just that I don't think they would be as endearing or as unexpectedly humorous and whatever as those two. So what do you think the movie is about? I think I mean, I think the movie starts about it's a story about two friends, two best friends, childhood friends. They've been friends since, you know, it's obviously through obviously through their rapport and their familiarity that they've been friends for a very long time. They're childhood best friends. Now, high school seniors that are about to embark on another chapter of their life. We know one of them got accepted into college at Dartmouth and one of them sort of sort of aimless, sort of a little directionless, doesn't know exactly what he wants to do yet. And they're trying to have like, it's like one last stand of being, of having fun. And they're trying to, you know, spend their summers getting girls and getting laid and the whole bit. So it's basically a story that centers around two friends that are, you know, that are, it's basically going to be a wrap. They're going to, they're getting ready for college. They're getting ready to embark on a new chapter. And then, like you said, you know, it sort of centers around their misadventures of trying to score, basically. 
you know, trying to score alcohol, trying to score girls. But then it does kind of separate when the cop characters come in about midway through the movie, then it splits off into a story about, you know, them and their friends as well. Everything's interconnected. But what I love about the movie is that it is so crude. It is so over the top. The humor is is really base and crass sometimes. But there's also a real authenticity and believability to the film. You get it. You know, the character, the, the friendship is portrayed, especially through the through the Seth and Evan characters. It feels so realistic. It feels like a really, even though it's Southern California, you know, we grew up on the East Coast. It's, it's Southern California. There's a lot of those same things, a lot of those same through lines to just being friends, dissing on each other, busting on each other, sort of harassing each other, criticizing one another. You know, the, the various friends that come in and out that we'll talk about. So there's a real there's a real sort of sweetness there and a warmth there along with those sort of crude comedy touchtones and I I love that about it. I think it makes it feel so special. I think that's what makes the film really stand out and makes it feel unique. It must have been hard to it had a real vision. Don't you don't you think? I mean it had a Seth Seth you know Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg who wrote the film and I guess it's you know semi-autobiographical account of them being kids. Supposedly, they started writing this when they were like 13 years old. So even younger than the characters that are being portrayed in the, in the film. And you could see that. There's a real authenticity to that. Like, And I know just through researching and investigating and reading, a lot of these things that in the movie actually happened to them, we'll talk about those those instances, it, feel, it feels realistic. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I think so. We we got a letter here out uh, actually that speaks to this or allows me to speak to this. And just as a, as a reminder, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins last stand for early ad free access and the ability to submit similar inquiries. Who wrote? Just like Adam Karskadden wrote into us. Hey, Adam. Said, hey, guys, Superbad is one of my favorite movies of all time. And he's from Britain or Australia because he put a U in favorite, which is you know, that's unfortunate. <laughs> It's hilarious, but I think it's obvious it also shines through with a layer of authenticity about the awkward transition to adulthood. I think there's a quantifiable special sauce that makes it stand out against the hundreds of other movies like it. What do you guys think makes the movie so special in such a saturated genre and setting? I agree with you, Dagan. That's why I wanted to read that out loud. That's exactly what separates it is this interesting balancing act that they managed to do in the script and also in the acting. The acting is really sincere between the two protagonists, really, especially. And... It's so it makes it more than the many crude, many funny films out there. There are really hysterical films that are just crude. Yeah. Gra- Grandma's Boy is one of those movies that's just insane, right? right? And it's very good, just as good as Super Bad, I think. But it does it does miss out on that authentic feel and a relatable feel. I had, I mean, I feel in a very brotherly, lovingly way about Ramon the way that they feel about each other. And I understand that and like the whole idea of bromance and and brotherly love and stuff. And I love the scene towards the end of the movie when they're after their bomb the next day and they're sleeping next to each other or whatever. Or before they go to bed and when they wake up and it's kind of awkward, but then they don't let it be awkward. It's so funny. They're professing their love for each other. Then in the morning, it's kind of awkward. Exactly. It's like a one night stand. Exactly. So good. It's really good. And it seems like that that cut through. I guess the standard fare of this type of movie and makes it shine through as something a little bit more special. And the people out there, the the consumers, movie viewers agreed and saw the movie and, and it was a wildly profitable. Yeah, film. people got that, you know, and Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill's portrayal of the characters. You have to speak to that, too. They really pulled that off. There's a 
the characters play off each other really nicely because they're different. You know, Seth is really a little more boorish and loud. And Michael Sarah is, you know, he's a kid, too. He wants the same things. He wants to get drunk. He wants to get the girl drunk. He wants to, you know, party and have this last great stand. But he's different. He's a little more thoughtful. He's a little more soft spoken and kind. And that and that, that again, that you feel like those two characters have known each other for a long time, the way they portray the, the characters. And I'm sure, you know, Seth and Evan, the real Seth and Evan had a lot to do with that having written the film and having been on set and having being able to guide them with their stories and everything. There's a real, that authenticity is really, really pronounced. It's so cool that people see that, you know, I I think it's impossible not to see that there's a real feel of that. I agree. I agree. And I really, especially, I find Michael Sarah's rendition of Evan, especially relatable. I think his, He's kind of portrayed as the better of the two kids in some way, not because he's going to Dartmouth or whatever, but just because he's a little more solid. I think that Jonah Hill's character, Seth, is a little more crude and a little more bombastic in some way. But I relate in a lot of ways to Evan, just in the sense that I was an awkward person, too, that found himself occasionally in a drunken situation where I'm like, I don't want to do this. This is so fast and weird and you can't believe things are happening and you don't want it to happen like that. And just like the situation he finds himself with, with his woman at the end, near the end of the film. <laughs> I relate to that where he's like, you know, talking about respecting what he's drunk and he's like cho- toasting the respecting women <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> There's just a lot of hum- like relatable humor and all that for me, because I was a similar way where a lot of people around me, I think we're a little more typical and like, let's go, you know, I'll go get laid and let's go get drunk and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of a little more one dimensional. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, that's fine. That's normal. I, I, it's just like it's it's it was awkward to me as a kid. And I I kind of found his his representation of that quite endearing for me because I was uh, similar. I was probably even more awkward and weird about it it's than he was. Yeah, you because you were a sensitive kid. Now with Michael Saraka, I was just thinking about this Juno. Did you see Juno, the film Juno, around yes. when it came out? I, I saw it around the time it came out. Yeah. I think it came out at almost the same time as this movie. I'm, I was trying to think of what same year, came yeah. first for me. But Michael Sarah was relatively unknown when Superbit, besides Juno, was relatively unknown still when this came out. And I always thought of, I always really enjoyed his acting style. Of course, you know, also very well known for his turn on Arrested Development. But I always thought him at, thought of him as a Jason Bateman type protege. He has a very similar cadence, a very similar acting style to Jason. Jason Bateman might be a little more put together and sophisticated, but there's still that that awkwardness and sort of the the timing. And the, the style of humor, you know, the acting, the personality, there's something there that I always kind of threw through to Jason Bateman. He just seems like a younger Jason Bateman to me sometimes. Michael Sarah brought something so interesting and different to his to his films. I want to I would like to see even more of him. Yeah, I haven't. I was looking at some of the things he was in. He was probably most notable in the film realm. Scott Pilgrim in those Scott Pilgrim. Oh, sure. Of course. Films, which I actually never saw. You never saw that movie? No. Oh, no. you love it. You're going to love that movie. And then we'll do that eventually. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist came out the next year, and that's supposed to be somewhat of an endearing like. Never saw that one. I think it's based on a book. It's supposed to be somewhat of an endearing like comedy drama, I guess. But I, I've never seen it. And then, yeah, he, he's done stuff since then. And Jonah Hill, obviously, pretty big deal these days. Oh, yeah. I wrote down some my three favorite or not three, but I guess three favorite, but three most notable roles I wrote down for him were Moneyball in 2011, which is a great book slash he's good movie. Uh, 21 Jump Street in 2012, and then there was the sequel to that as well. And then uh, Wolf of Wall Street in 2013, which he was he was great in that movie. He's so good in that. I, I 
he's another example of like, wow, I didn't know you had those chops. What an interesting casting choice, right? To opposite Leonardo DiCaprio in a Martin Scorsese Scorsese film. film, Yeah, very probably incredibly intimidating. I would imagine if I were if I were him, I'd be like, what the fuck? And, you know, he's directing now. Yes. Did you and did you see Mid Nineties yet? The no, film no, no. He did I about which is like his love letter to skateboarding. You know, he Jonah Hill grew up skateboarding in Southern California, and that was sort of like the love of his life. You know, I could relate to that. And he, this Mid Nineties was sort of his love letter to skateboarding in the Nineties. It was, you know, a lot of people were criticizing it, including my best friend PJ, who you know PJ saw it before I did. And when I asked him, you know, how was it? He was like, dude, we were there for this movie. Like we, this movie was us. We were just in a different place or whatever. And I got that point, but I I watched it with Helene probably four or five months ago. And I I really thought it was good. I thought it was pretty good. I got it. You know, it was a little over the top. It was a little, it was a little, um, I don't know, a little sappy, you know, a little melodramatic at points, but I, I got it. I got what he was trying to do. And it's cool to see him, you know, it's cool to see him directing stuff. The other third wheel character, I guess we got to work in here at some point before we get into the cops, because that's why I really want to talk about or talk about is uh, Christopher Mintz plus as Fogel or McLovin. McLovin. And he was most notable later on from Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2. And he's also, I think, one of the main voice characters in the How to Train Your Dragon series. So he's done pretty well for himself since then. This character is interesting to me because he's annoying as shit in, in ways. And we all know people, I think, like this that are trying to be cool and like kind of out of turn and awkward and a little cringy and stuff like that. But also kind of feel for this character. They're incredibly mean. Not they actually, not really, not both of them really are mean to him. Seth is really mean to him. And I almost kind of feel bad for him. I feel like he's somewhat of a sympathetic figure and he's obviously a doofus. He gets like a fake Hawaiian license with one word, you know, one name on it, McLovin and (laughs) it's completely ridiculous. But yeah, I, I feel a sympathy for this character. I'm wondering how you feel about him. You know, I feel like he I knew this kid. I feel like we all knew someone like this. To me, he seemed like the nerdy kid that actually thinks he is cool. And through, we, I feel like everybody goes through like knowing that type at some point, especially I could think of like junior high school and high school. And that confidence, for some reason, actually, you know, willing himself cool, it actually kind of works. It actually makes him cool in a way. I, I feel like I always knew someone like that, usually a boy that was like you would actually look at and say why does everybody accept him as cool he's not cool he's like trying too hard or you know he's actually a dork but people are like at least giving him a pass it almost felt like that he was that that type of character to me you know like really thought he was a lot cooler than he actually was yeah for sure it is interesting that that kind of confidence allows you to kind of move forward it says a lot about confidence and a lot about being sure of yourself and Maybe being a little delusional or a little out of it, too, although it's insinuated that because he also got into Dartmouth uh, along with Evan, that he is quite intelligent as well. Not to take away from Seth, who seems to just be lazy and not necessarily unintelligent, but I like the character of of McLovin as well, just because of this. The shit he gets (laughs) wrapped up in. It's so weird. This it's really because of him and his relationship with these cops that it becomes two separate movies. And it's it's very strange to me. In that regard, the movie is actually really weird structurally from that point onward. It is. But, and I actually prefer their story almost to the, to what's going on with the other kids because it gets a little one note in that way where like all this like bizarre 
heinous shit is happening on <laughs> the other side of the movie, basically, unknown to them, unbeknownst to them. And that's what's so funny about that separation between their stories is they think that he's like being arrested and like shaken down, but he's oh, having like so basically having the night of his life with these like two <laughs> with, these rene- with these two renegade cops. <laughs> What do you make of Bill Hader and Seth Rogen as officers Slater and Michaels? Because they're awesome. I mean, they really are the, in some strange way, the beating heart of this movie to me. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, they're the other duo, the other comedic duo that you really have to talk about in this movie. You have Seth and Evan and you have Slater and Michaels. And they do. They kind of buoy the second half of the movie, at least 50% of the second half of the movie. You know, it really becomes about them. They're just hilarious. Seth Rogen and Bill Hader are so, first of all, they're, they're so funny together. They're great. They play off each other really fun, really great, perfect complement to the Seth and Evan characters. And, you know, just the to- total fuck-ups. Buddy cops, total fuck-ups. Similar to Seth and Evan, I feel like there's a long-standing friendship there. I feel like they've known each other for a long time. Maybe they were kids together and they got on the force together. You know, it always rang. That always rang true to me. Like there was a real familiarity between the characters. They knew each other really well. They obviously know each other's histories. They talk about ex-wives and ex-girlfriends and all that kind of stuff. And they're so much fun. They're hysterical and they're horrifying because it's horrifying to think of cops that are that irresponsible. You know, it's like, yeah, like discharging their weapons, just <laughs> ignoring radio calls. It's like so funny calling the dispatcher a slut. Or yeah. whatever. You know, like so, <laughs> so great. And this might have put Bill Hader on the map for me. I don't know that I knew him that much before this film. Seth Rogen, I did. But Bill Hader, I may not have known too much personally before this. So that and, I, you know, we were just talking about Bill Hader earlier, you and I how how well he's doing and how funny he is he's 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 great yeah he's awesome he's got a really unique sense of humor and also i think a really unique look about him that makes him funny he does as well. have a unique look he was on saturday night live for like i don't know i have it written down here i want to say like eight or nine years Pretty long run yeah 2005 to 2013 there it is and he wrote a lot and he wrote a lot and he was uh, he was pretty active in a lot of the comedy films if you look at a lot of the filmographies of these various actors they're in a lot of each other's films and even when you think about uh, the producers and the well, so the direct the movie's director Greg Matola didn't really do much. This is probably his biggest film. Although I was happy to see that he's a a, a Long Island. Boy. Oh, see, I was gonna see if you noticed that. Yeah, yeah he's from Dix Hills. Yeah, right? Dix Hills, and dated a girl from there. Producer uh, Judd Apatow, who is obviously very famous and very active. I didn't realize that he produced Cable Guy, which is pretty funny. That's a fucking weird movie. Oh, you never knew he did that? No, one? no. That's, that's such so a weird. that's such a weird movie. I think that's a profoundly weird movie. Very strange. Forty uh, Year Old Virgin, obviously, and he also directed that, which is one of the great comedies of the 21st century. Step Brothers, which Aaron loves. Uh, Bridesmaids. And then Shauna Robertson, who I didn't know anything about until reading. She also produced it. She produced Anchorman, Forty Year Old Virgin. And uh, Pineapple Express, and she's married to Ed Norton, which I thought oh, was pretty interesting. I didn't know that. Not that I want to sing, not that I want to reduce a woman to who she's married to. I hate when people do that, but really, she is married to Ed Norton. Huh. And then it was written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who we had mentioned before. Uh, Evan Goldberg also acting as producer, and I didn't realize Evan Goldberg wrote Goon, which is actually a really great, in my opinion, a really great movie. What's that guy's name? Sean Michael Scott or whatever his name is. Stifler. I don't it, know. That. Oh, sure, sure. He sure. plays a uh, hockey goon, basically, like a fighter in a hockey. On a what hockey What year is that movie from? I don't know it. I want to say it's probably 10 years old at this point, maybe okay. maybe a little less than that. So, yeah, those are the people that are, are variously kind of involved in it. 
but there's a really incestuous relationship between all of these different people if you go through. And so Bill Hader even finds his way into some of this stuff as well. But I think he's probably most famous for that Saturday Night Saturday Night Live run. And I was telling you, we were talking about him because I'm really in love with that show on HBO, Barry, which I think is really excellent. I think he's just fantastic in that film. I, I can't wait to watch this show. Is he now? Would you predict we talk about this before? Do you think he's going to have a turn, Bill Hader, as like a Jim Carrey, uh, Robin Williams? Steve Carell, he, he'll be that comedic actor that could also do the drama thing. I would like to think so. Yeah, that would be fun you know, for that to happen. I I think that these guys have a lot of these guys have chops and we just don't know it. And, and I wouldn't know it. I mean, I don't know anything about acting, but it's just surprising to me that these kind of goofy dudes actually can can do it, can do the work. Yeah, there's and something really cool about that. He did. I got to look it up, Kyle. He did do a drama movie. It was sort of an art house film, an indie film. About a brother and sister who I got to look it up. I got, I will look it up by the end of the show. And he was really good in that. And that's what made me realize like, oh, Bill Hader might have some tools, you know, in the, in the toolbox besides the comedic chops. For sure. You know. Yeah, yeah he's, he's an great. interesting cat. And he's I think great. that really plays out in Barry because that movie or that show rather is so it's funny as shit sometimes and then really dark. And his character is actually really tragic in that show. How many seasons of that I show? I think two so far. Two so far? Okay, so. wow. So so they're they're cruising. Yeah, they're going on. So. Yeah, and one another one of those shows with a terrible name, bad iconography. It doesn't really make you want to watch it. So I, I don't blame anyone for not having seen it, but I highly recommend it nonetheless. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So here's the thing about the cop characters that I think is the funniest thing, and especially in their relationship with McLovin. And you can obviously expand on this, but at the end, they tell McLovin that they knew the entire time that he was full of shit. Yeah, that makes everything that happened with them. 10 times more horrifying than it was to begin with. <laughs> really think about the entire tapestry of their relationship with each other from the liquor store. They let him walk out with the liquor. They're discharging guns with them. They're sitting at a bar, a bar <laughs> drinking beers with them. They put him in the line of fire basically. And he yeah, stops him, you did. know, the homeless guy from running away. <laughs> There's like all of this crazy shit and it's crazy enough in the moment, but it gets even the, the craziness is heightened to 11 when you find when they're basically like, yeah, we, 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 we know, you know, they have like hit and runs and all sorts of crazy shit. That's what makes those characters so funny to me is that little it's just that throwaway line. It's not even really that necessary to the comedy of the movie. In fact, you could argue that it would have been funnier if that wasn't true. Yeah. It's just crazier that it's true. It's not necessarily funnier. It's so interesting. I wonder now if, you know, knowing that a lot of this story is semi autobiographical, from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, I wonder if the cop characters play into that or if they're purely fictional. That I don't know. But that would be really interesting if these were based on real characters, even if it was really exaggerated for the film. <laughs> you know, that would be funny. That would be pretty funny. It's interesting because I've had, we've talked about some negative interactions we've had a cop with cops, specifically you when we were talking about. Sure. You in Philadelphia that one, Skateboarding. that one day, almost 30 years ago with a PJ, but... It's funny because they remind me of I, I rented a house on Fire Island in 2003 with my friends for a week once. And we were I was so 2003. 2003? I was yeah, I was 19. And no, I was 18. And wow, you were young. I, we were playing like beer pong on the porch and really being pretty flippant with our behavior. And we were clearly underage and stuff. And these two cops like walk up onto the porch and kind of start walking around. It's like a real weird situation. And then they played beer pong with us for a little while. And then they just left. Really? Yeah. But then no one knew them. No, no, we never knew them and no one saw them again. And they, I mean, they must have known. It was the real Slater and Michaels. It was, yeah, it was, it, I think it's just, I think it's, uh, they don't really want to bust. They don't care. It's like, what <laughs> you know, whatever. And so 
there's funny cops out there, I think, doing funny shit. Maybe not as heinous as like burning their own cop car and reporting that, you know, false affidavits that their cop car was stolen by a homeless guy and he trashed it and all sorts of stuff. They're really nuts. Oh, it's so good. If if they were going to do it, they might as well have pushed it that far. You know, exaggerate the shit out of it. That's what makes it hilarious. And I think the other thing that I wanted to really talk about here and press is part of the reason why I think the comedy works and why the movie's so enchanting in some ways, because... It takes place in the cell phone era, in the prolific cell phone era when everyone had a cell phone. So there was, for our younger listeners, people that don't remember, there was a time, cell phones came out in the 80s, really, and there were time times when some people had cell phones. Famously, Zach Morris had his huge cell phone in Saved by the Bell and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. But even when I started high school in 1998, it was somewhat rare for people to have cell phones. But by the time I was in 12th grade, everyone had a cell phone, and that was in 2001, 2002. And so by this time, 2006, 2007, when this is filmed in 2006 and released in 2007, everyone had a cell phone. So yeah. there was a prolific cell phone culture going on already. And you see that when they're talking to each other. It's really cute when they're talking to each other. And then he drives up and they just get into the car. and keep. Love that. It's the opening scene. But it's pre-smartphone. And the reason I think that that's essential is because a lot of this stuff wouldn't have really been possible. The comedy wouldn't have made sense. It's kind of why horror films take place in the woods where you get no service. Because otherwise, how... Cell phones ruin everything. Yeah. They ruin every plot. That's why I think you and I might have even discussed this, discussed this in the past when we were talking about why do so many things take place in the 80s today or in the 90s? And a big reason is because you just can dispel the technological shit that ruins everything. Oh, you don't know where the criminal was when he killed the guy? Just ping his cell phone from the nearest tower and you'll be able to figure out. You know, it's like it's not fun. It's not interesting. Yeah. And I think that like the cops being nuts and busting up that party and the party going on and the fight at the party and. <laughs> All the crazy shit going on, the the, the, bu- the cops wielding their guns at the bars, the bums running around and stuff. None of that would have been possible. It would have been unbelievable, rather, more unbelievable in the, in the smartphone era when everyone would have been in the social media era when everyone would have been filming in. And Great I'm not point. saying that that would have happened. It's a comedy. You have to let things go. But I think that that's a really essential thing to why this movie works is because everyone's still kind of in the moment yeah. at this time. This was kind of the beginning of the, of the end of that. No, I think that's a great point. Yeah, because there's no, yeah, there's no, I mean, even like, I wonder, are there dashboard cams and cop cars at that point? Mid-2000s? Probably, there definitely are. There definitely are at that point, because that's where we get a lot of our great 90s. Oh, right, cops. You know, cop, well, not only cops, but even those crazy shows like Rescue 911 or whatever whatever was going on. There's yeah. Always, there's always a dash cam going. So yeah, <laughs> you have to you have to suspend disbelief a little bit. A little bit. Well, quite a bit, but... Because even them discharging their guns and stuff, they would have had to count for every bullet that they shot and stuff. So it's like it's totally nuts. And it shows how nuts they are. But again, I'll just reiterate that the fact that they knew that they were doing this with like a 17 year old kid makes it even crazier. <laughs> so great. Dake, we've yet bring up, brought up characters that I think are pretty important, played by Emma Stone and Martha McIsaac, Jules and Becca, respectively. This is first their first big film role for both of them. Although I was surprised by this. Martha McIsaac, who I don't know for many things, she was actually the star of this I think it's a Canadian show called Emily of New Moon in the late 90s that apparently that's where she kind of got her start. But was she really young? I guess so. She's actually my age. Okay. Emma Stone's way younger. I think Emma Stone's like six or seven years younger than her because Emma Stone's like 18 or 19 when they're filming this. And I think the Martha McIsaac Becca character is like in her. her, She's kind of like my age then. So she would have been like in her early 20s. Sure, sure. So we didn't really bring them up, but the other note that I I wanted to bring up about them, I don't think that they're necessarily that essential to the story because it's not really about them. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. But one of the things that I really liked about them is and and the way that the story is portrayed and their sexuality and all that kind of stuff was it just shows women as not necessarily and certainly not being 
so helpless and prude and incapable, which I've always liked or I like that part of it. And I've always thought that because I've known some really, you know, friends that I've had that are girls over the over the past, some of the raunchiest, most inappropriate, most horny, whatever people I've ever met. Yeah. And I always feel like that's a very male thing, too, and a very chauvinist thing. But it exists in that world. And I like that it seemed like it honestly portrayed that. Like they really wanted these guys too. And yeah. you don't really see too much of the story from their perspective, but they clearly are in are into it as well. It's almost like there's a whole nother super bad happening with them that we don't really get to see. Interesting point. And I really love that they have control of the situation and they have control of the situation in, in kind of markedly different ways, which I think is kind of notable as well in the sense that with Emma Stone's character, Where's my note here? Jules. Yeah. She's like not really she's not drinking. You find out she's kind of sober. She's she's kind of got a good head on her shoulders. And she's kind of like the Michael Sarah character in a way where she's kind of more thoughtful and stuff like that. And then you have the Martha McIsaac Becca character is like a real like she's like drunk and horny. And, <laughs> you know, it just seemed like a really honest representation of what I've known women to be, too, which is pretty similar to men. In, yeah. my, in my experience. They you, could be that way as well. Yeah, what do you think of oh, that analysis? I like the Jules character because what was really endearing, first of all, for her, for me, was that she's obviously a popular girl in school. She's very pretty. She's popular. And she's almost seems out of Seth's league. But she obviously sort of likes Seth. And she obviously is sort of, you know, sort of cultivated. She's not, it turns out, there's a certain point in the movie where you think, okay, this girl is just using him to get booze. But she actually really legitimately likes him and gets a kick out of him and is willing to give him a chance as a friend and as, as possibly a boyfriend. And you see them starting to cultivate that relationship. And I like that she's the popular girl, but she's also, she's multidimensional because she's all, she's not the shallow, stuck up cold-hearted popular girl she's she has some dimension to her she's she's kind she's obviously kind and she's warm and she even though you know i'm not just talking about in looks but he's obviously kind of a goof not as not in the same league of popularity as she is obviously so the fact that he's she's willing to give him a chance is really cool yeah it shows it shows like multi-dimension for these female characters that i I just don't think is represented very well no not usually it's not and becca seems like a very polite girl she seems very smart she seems to be paying attention and studious in class and she seems actually really really sweet but to see that there's also a wild side to her too makes it really smack of authenticity you yeah know, definitely makes the characters feel believable like I mean, you know them you get that in the beginning too because like he michael sarah's like clearly checking out her tits in math class in the beginning and she sees him do it yeah and, and then still approaches totally him. so yeah so <laughs> yeah it's just i like that i felt like it was multi-dimensional i feel like it was real and again representative of a lot of the women that i've known and i don't even mean that as girlfriends or anything like that i just like women that i've been friends with I've always been surprised of the demure kind of reputation that women have. Yeah. Not really representative of the the women I know. Right. It's not always the case. And now, Kyle, look at Emma Stone. I mean, look at her filmography going from this movie to now. I mean, she's borderline a superstar now. Yeah. So it's interesting to see her her grow like that. Definitely. Over the last decade. All right. So, Dig, let's get into a few more of... These questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience, if you will. Give it to me. Jeremy Miller wants to know. He says, hi, guys. Hi, guys. He says, this question is more for Dagan, but I'd love to hear Colin's take. I don't really have a take on this. What's up, Jeremy? Jeremy says, being around the youth of today, which you are, you are around the youth of today. The youth. Would you say this movie is still relatable to teens of the modern day? That's an interesting question because, 
your kids are a little young for this movie, but not too much young, not too young because five years off. I would. I don't think so, dude. I mean, if I, I when if I were Lily's age or so, oh, I'd to be, watch the movie. Yeah, I'd be very familiar with this film by by around her age. Yeah, no, she's not too. Just far like I was watching Adam Sandler shit and like all that kind of stuff when I was in fifth grade. Or well, whatever, you know what's grade. interesting? Lily is watching Friends now. She's addicted to it, actually. Oh, they got through. They got through Stranger Things, and then her. Fr- and it's funny because all her contemporaries, all her friends, are into it too. And in fact, it must be a thing because. You know, Friends is on Netflix. The whole catalog is on Netflix, as far as I know. It must be a thing going on in the country, at least, because Target is carrying Friends clothes. Yeah, it's the 25th anniversary, I think. Of oh, the... okay. So that so so Something and like that, you know, yeah. Friends deals with not that Friends is an over the top crude show. It was a it was a show on NBC. It was on NBC. It yeah, it was after right? on after Seinfeld, I believe. So it wasn't, but it get the the characters are older. The characters are in their mid 20s in that show, right? So they get into sex. They get into other things. Like oh that. yeah, Lily is watching it. Yeah, it's pretty... know, oftentimes with her mom, but it's pretty raunchy. That show is actually pretty raunchy. It's not raunchy like Seinfeld, but it's pretty, it's pretty raunchy. So no, a 12, 13 year old is not too far off from watching this movie. Yeah. And I wonder if they'll find it an accurate representation per Jeremy's inquiry about their own lives. Like when I would watch teen movies, teen comedies when I was younger yeah. than the, 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 uh, the targets, let's say, because like American Pie was really the movie that I related to most. That was that I felt like it was most similar to my experience in some way. Yeah, I was like more my age and stuff. So before this, like eight years before this. But when I would watch these, what I would look at as aspirational teen movies when I was like 12 years old, where I'm like, man, I wish I had a fucking life like this. And this is fucking dope. Look at how hot these girls are. And, you know, everyone's drinking and having a good time or whatever. This I wonder if this would be one of those movies that I would look at through that lens and be like, that was an aspirational almost like, oh, I hope I have a summer like they did in American Pie 2 or something like that. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see like how this movie ages with kids today. It's the same themes. Yeah. Drinking, you know, have, you know, courting members of the opposite sex, to put it politely. You know, it's flip phones versus smartphones. But a lot of the themes still, you know, hold true. I, I agree. College. Indeed, yeah, going on, up, yeah, going off and going away, and it's very sad in a way. I remember, you know, when I went to college in two two thousand two, was sad to say goodbye to everyone and see everyone kind of split off. And I was friends with some older kids, so I had kind of gone through that the summer before too, right before nine eleven. Really. Oh, so you had some training. With I that. had nine eleven twice because I had to say say goodbye to all my friends. And then nine eleven happened, so I had nine eleven twice. <laughs> Terrible joke, <laughs> but yeah, I, I look at this particular film as something that holds up really well and per drinking the the other note that i made in my notebook were was this movie really targets in my mind the realities of how mystical drinking was how important it was to teen culture and i'm sure still is and the one thing that was funny was I didn't really struggle getting booze as a kid, so I can't really relate to... I don't know why, but we it was never a problem for us getting alcohol as a kid, mostly because... How'd you do it? There was a 7-Eleven, that 7-Eleven on Station Road, and then the that like shitty gas station that intersects, I guess... What is it? Station and... What is that? Beaver Dam? Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever that is. I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? That little shit across from know, where Spices exactly was. Both talking. of them would sell beer to us when we were like 16 years old. Whenever you want. Yeah, whatever. Liquor, wow. beer. No one cared what was going on. So <laughs> that was a pretty unique situation to our town probably, but that was a real thing. No one gave a fuck what was going on. I bought, I literally bought 12 packs of beer when I was like 16 I years old. I never knew that. 
Just walk up. You're just giving them the money. They ring you up. It's like, all right, see ya. Didn't even ask. Nope. No, not bad. Not and I rash. was clear. I mean, you remember me, but I was clearly not 21 years old when I was 16. No, you looked young. So that was my experience drinking as a kid. It wasn't really this huge boundary for us. Okay. It was almost so accessible that it kind of removed the mysticism of it in a way. It didn't mean that I I used to get shit faced when I was in in high school sometimes. I don't you did? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't recommend it too much. I think you should experiment as much as you'd like. Be safe, of course. It's going to happen. It's gonna yeah, happen. of course. But yeah, I, I, I feel like this made, I think, drinking look like the mystical thing it is to most kids at that age where it's, it is difficult to find booze. You want to impress girls by having that stuff available and being loose with that kind of stuff. And I liked that angle of it, too, because that felt really real to me, even though it didn't represent my specific angle. I had a harder time buying beer in college than I did in high school. Until I turned 21, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> like straight up, though. Huntington Liquors, if you guys live in Boston, Huntington Liquors, they, they were they were real fucking OGs there. And they would, if you had a fake ID there, they would take it from you and put it on this massive wall of shame. <laughs> and they had just hundreds of IDs that Did they had they seized really? over the years of just fake IDs. like oh, making, And man. they would have little sometimes write shit about each of them on it, like oh, make fun of the person and stuff. It was fucking cool. I, I think it's still there, actually. I was in there a few, maybe five years ago, and it was still there, which wow. is awesome. That's a great idea, actually. Yeah, it's so awesome. That's yeah, to embarrass people yeah. out of it. But I loved that angle as well, because obviously teen drinking, maybe we should lower the drinking age to 18, and that would remove a lot of that mysticism inherently. But in the meantime, it seemed like that was a really nice way to play it up as this really seems like an authentic quest to to satiate the girls you like and to get the booze and to yeah. be the life of the party and to be the cool kid you want to be sophisticated. With... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So dig, are there any particular scenes that you want to call out? There is one scene <laughs> that I think we should call out. Definitely. That I think we all know what we're going to, uh, what oh, we're going to say. It's classic. It's one of my favorite comedy scenes of all time. Any, any movie. It's also like an ultimate non sequitur as well, which uh, which I think is awesome. Clark, That's what I love about it. Clark Petrie wrote into us. He said, is there a more amazing and absurd montage than the dick drawing sequence in this movie? Huh. At that point in the movie, it has already established a very unique voice and sense of itself. But that scene took it over the top for me. Can't wait to hear your discussion. So I know you're a huge fan of this scene. I am, too. It it's just it's so weird. I remember I didn't remember much of it. And so when I was watching it rather yesterday, or two days ago, I was like, does he like pull out of this joke and like basically make it a joke or something like that or whatever? No, it's like dead up serious. It's like a dead serious presentation. It's so and like even his best friend doesn't know about it, which is so awesome. Somebody's younger. When I read, I read some bit that somebody's younger brother. I don't know. if don't, It was it was uh, Goldberg's younger. It was brother, Evan Goldberg's yeah, younger Evan brother Goldberg's that brother. did all the drawings. For them. Dude, how good are they? Oh, I could watch. I could watch it on freeze frame. It's hilarious. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, some of them are really beautiful. It's like they're like pretty well done drawings, <laughs> like compositions. So it just makes it makes it look like Seth was so into it. You know, as a kid, like he was just compelled to do these fine renderings of. You know, <laughs> so what? Uh, what other scenes do you want to call out that you might want to talk about? You know what struck? What scene always struck me as being very realistic and it's funny because it turns out to be something that's autobiographical is the older kids party that Seth and Evan end up at. So while they're in the liquor store waiting for McLovin to do his thing, some, some older, some awkward, creepy older guy backs his car into (laughs) Seth and sort of like half runs him over and then in order to sort of comply and make things right, he decides that he's going to take Seth and Evan to this party. 
he knows he's look, they're looking for alcohol. He's like, dude, I, 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 he's great. The character is so great. The character is so creepy. And he takes Seth and Evan to this party, which is, and it's older kids. I don't know if it's supposed to be college kids or even older adult types. We know one of them is at least engaged to be married. And it's a, it's kind of a who's who of comedians in this party as well, which is great because they're all hilarious. And what ends up happening, it feels very real. I feel like I was in that situation as a kid where you're at this party that you really shouldn't be at. It feels a little dangerous. It feels a little tense. You don't really know anybody there, but you're just trying to either meet girls or get it, you know, score alcohol or whatever. And various sort of hijinks ensue at this party. But the best part of it to me is that this actually happened to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. They ended up at this weird party all the way down to they made Evan. Evan got in the situation where there was a bunch of older kids in this room doing coke. It might have been Seth, actually. It might have been Seth Rogen. And they were all doing they were all coked up and acting like acting really crazy. And they made him sing a song. I don't know if it was the same song. And he says the only reason he got out of that room where he felt like he got out of the room safely is because there was a fight and somebody called fight and then everybody ran out. <laughs> Just like what happens in the movie. That's great. It felt really authentic to me. I definitely remember being in situations like that where the only person I knew was the person I went to the party with, whether it was PJ or my friend John when I was a little younger. Have you ever been in a situation oh, like that? Oh, definitely. You're at a party in like the wrong side of town or an unfamiliar side of town. Yeah, I, I even remember... There's like multiple echelons in my experience, too, because in high school, there's like the high school party and then there's even different echelons of that. But when you go to college, yeah, I went to college in Boston. You went to college in Philadelphia. So it's a metropolitan kind of area. And there was a few times even when I was younger where I ended up at an adult party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like where you really don't like a, like there are people with jobs. I know exactly and, what you're saying. And you're like, what the Because I, I remember going and buying <laughs> weed from a dude that was at a party like that once. And he like went into like his bedroom or whatever. And, and I was like, what the fuck is going oh, on here? It's insane. They're drinking like wine and it's like charcuterie or something like that. And you're like, I, and I'm like, I'm wearing like ratty clothes and I just want to buy weed. And like, oh, get we got to talk place. about that in our next episode. I can't wait to talk about this. So that's hilarious. I, I, there's like that level of, I don't even want to be at those parties to this day. I'm 34 years old. Oh, I want to be no. at those parties. I I'd much totally rather be at the college party. But. <laughs> So, yeah, to me, I, I look at that and it's funny because it's very relatable in that sense of, yeah, being in the wrong part. Now, I don't like social gatherings generally. Even when I was younger, I would kind of rather party in small groups. But, yeah, I can relate to that because, yeah, we've all been in those parties where you're definitely the, the record scratch kind of moment or like everyone's staring at you. Yeah, you feel like everybody be. knows you shouldn't be there. Right, exactly. <laughs> Guitar Raven 28 wrote into us on Patreon. Hey, that's not his given name. He says, <laughs> greetings, fellow fellow Hawaiian residents. Care to purchase some alcohol with me? Superbad is one of the most enjoyable movies of its ilk. There's a specific type of comedy to it that appears in few other movies, forgetting Sarah Marshall and Get Into the Greek being other examples. Hmm. What about the specific brand of humor is so special and why do few films capture it? It's almost like Superbad like comedy should have their own subgenre. Thanks, guys. And remember that she may throw up on you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Although he most she mostly missed. Thank goodness. Now, I think part of the reason this movie is so funny is because it is so it is so quick. And though the movie is runtime is almost two hours, it really takes place over pretty much a 24 hour period, a little bit more than that. And so I think that that's part of the reason why the comedy works is because there's no dead moments in it. It's not taking place over days or weeks or months where you kind of have to 
telegraph what happened and then you go to the next scene and so on. There's a continuity between the movie, a very immediate continuity because it's all ha- you are introduced to these characters and they're immediately on this adventure that morning you meet them they go to school they do their thing and then immediately they're trying to get liquor and go to this party yeah and then they wake up the next day and then they meet the girls at the the mall so it's about, probably about 30 hours of time yeah but mostly it takes place in a single day right yeah so i think that that is why the movie works so well now is that the reason why similar movies like the ones he answer, he brought up or others work no not necessarily but it's that fast moving, heated kind of comedy that I think works. I, I I like movies that tell stories over periods of time, but I really also like stories that are just about a day in the life. And that's pretty cool. So I think that that's probably why the comedy works. Nothing stays around too long. Nothing can stay around too long for them to tell the movie that they want to. And it's still, again, a two hour runtime. So what's interesting about that is that you're still seeing like a solid 7% or 6% of their day. Yeah. Which is a lot more than you see in a lot of movies. So it's cool. It's very it's very relatable in that way. Yeah, makes it very realistic and grounded. It's so funny, Carl, that a movie could be this exaggerated and cartoony. There's very few that have that that could yet feel sincere and realistic and believable. You know, it, it all in the same thing and just re, all in the same the same exact film to have all that in one film is is really telling. And also, you could tell that a lot of the comedy, especially a lot of the you know the quotable things and a lot of the one liners are improvised, which. You know, you could tell that the the actors were having fun, and I think that's what this movie is. It's just fun. It's just pure levity for me. I love it. I love I love live action films that seem like seem like cartoons. Yeah, there is a lot it's of a improv. Of yeah, you're and you're right. The improv I think does shine through, and they apparently left the camera rolling all the time to get to pick up those moments, and <laughs> and you can see that there. So uh, I agree with you there very much. John Kiskalt wrote into us, said there are a few movies that went on TV, no matter what part of the movie is on, I leave on the channel and watch. This movie is so well acted and the pacing is very underappreciated. Most people love this movie for the memes it generated and quotable dialogue, but it's a truly great movie. I agree with you there, too. It seems like a very cohesive product that makes a lot of sense. It's funny to draw the memes out of it and draw the quotes out of it. That's always great. But it is, I think, a truly great comedy. It's not just... Uh, a mean mind. It's not just a comedy of its time. I think it's one of those comedies that will be brought with us while a lot of other comedies, even good comedies from that era will always be of that era. I think Superbad's one of like, for instance, Hot Tub Time Machine, I think is always going to be stuck in that time. Pardon the pun. It's good. Yeah, but it's not next level good. It's not 40 year old version. It's not this movie. It's not Grandma's Boy movies that I think you draw out of that generation as you move forward. So yeah, I enjoy that part part of it as well. I think it is a great movie. It's not just a great quotable film. And the pacing is great. Never gets boring. Never gets slow. Never slows up. Really just really moves along at a nice clip. Definitely. And I feel like hopefully pacing won't ever be an issue for a movie that's so that takes place over such a short, short period of time. It's almost hard to in a way like the pacing is not even the problem. The problem is probably more finding enough content to fill a 90 minute or in this case this movie's almost two hours long it's a good point yeah matthew Brousseau wrote into us and said hey guys hope all hey is guys. well hey super bad is without a doubt one of my favorite movies ever made or one of the one of my favorite movies ever made well that's an interesting way i to love play. hearing that from so many people me and my friends would watch it on repeat weekend after weekend this movie perfectly encapsulated our high school experience and did so for a generation of kids my age i was born in 1997 he says so what movie best captured wow. your high school experience also, between you, Dagan, and Chris, who would represent Jonah Hill, Michael Sarah, and McLovin? Oh, wow. I think uh, I would probably be Jonah Hill. I think Dagan would probably be Michael Sarah, And I think Chris would have to be McLovin. 
Uh, he says, cheers from Canada. Dig, so we know that American Pie is probably that r- most relatable teen movie for, for my you. generation. And I, I think one of the great teen movies of all time. I, I think that movie is so fucking good. But what is yours? You, you grew question. up during a great era or right a little bit after a lot of these movies came out. Yeah. The great uh, Brat Pack movies, etc. St. Elmo's Fire and whatever the case may sure, be. A lot of sure. great stuff. What kind of movie do you pull out as being most relatable to your high school experience, if any, or perhaps even your college experience? Perhaps you would look at a movie like Back to School, for yeah. instance, as really relatable to your <laughs> college experience. I get no respect. You know, it's funny, Kyle. <laughs> I Indy. feel like the John Hughes movies, I feel like I'm kind of stuck in between for my age now. I might just feel like this person. I might This might be inaccurate. But for me, I feel like I'm too young for the John Hughes movies. And the St. Elmo's fires and so on and so forth. And I'm too old for the American pies and all that kind of stuff. So nothing really can. I can't think of anything right now. Now the podcast man that I may think of something in which case I'll just tweet it. But nothing really contemporary to my time. But I think probably super bad in as far as the antics and the hijinks and stuff that we got up to and stuff that we were definitely capable of as kids. And just the attitudes about wanting to a little less desperation for us but the attitudes about wanting to get drinks wanting to get girls that being you know our pursuit at night because our pursuit in the daytime was always skateboarding but i have to say i was older i wasn't a typical high schooler in the fact that i didn't take a drink i didn't take a drug i didn't smoke a cigarette all through high school it wasn't necessarily being goody goody i was just caught up in the things i was caught up in you know you didn't drink at all in high school nothing Nothing. I had my first drinks. My first, well, we'll talk about this in our house parties episode, but I really didn't, besides take a sip here and there of something out of a red cup, but never even took like an entire drink until I was like 19 years old. And I was already a year out of college at that point where I really started high school. And, you know, that was even before I got into college. And even in college, I didn't really drink that much. It was after college that I started to party more. So I'm a little bit of a I'm a little bit of a bit of a tough case with that. Yeah, I understand. My my drinking is so much ebbed and flowed over my life. It's funny. It really does come in in fits and starts. Where I drank quite a bit in 11th and 12th grade, and then I didn't really drink a lot in my first years of college. And then when I turned 21, then I really drank a lot again. Okay. And then I can't. I moved to San Francisco. I drank a lot, and then I didn't drink, and then I got into bourbon, and I drank again, and now I don't really drink too much. Bourbon again. when you got older. Now, what yeah. did you like to drink when you were younger? So I, we were talking about this. It's so funny because it's Jules, I think, says or one of the one of the girls says it could be Becca like to get her like the hard lemonade drink. And, and yeah. I was telling you that, like, that's the first stuff that I really got drunk on when I was 14, 15 years old. It's so corny. Even at the time, people would be like, you're such a bitch. Like Mike's hard. Yeah, Mike's hard lemonade. But it's like that was what I wanted. And like whatever malt liquor kind of gross wine cooler shit. And the whole 40 ounce thing, too. Yeah. And the four and then you get in the 40s and Cobras and whatever, you know, whatever you had old E, which was a Long Island special, of course. And so I like can relate to that because it's like he even says like, oh, I think that's a little gay or whatever, because it really (laughs) was considered that even at the time. And I was aware of that, but it was like what I drank. And then ultimately later in high school, I started drinking, you know, Bellport specials, Natty Ice whatever the case might be that was lying around. And I remember very clearly getting really bombed on Natty Ice and having gone earlier to a bit like Swan Bakery and getting rainbow cookies, which I love, oh, like the wow. rainbows, and then throwing everything up in my friend's oh, basement, like no. all the beer and all of this. It was like co- this me. colorful menagerie oh. of, yeah, it was gross. Did the parents know? No, no one was home. No oh, one okay. was home. Okay. So, 
Yeah, that was my friend Dave's house who I used to play chess with. And so, yeah, that was, uh, so I moved off to that and then I got, I just drank pretty much beer throughout throughout uh, college, college and early in my San Francisco career. And then when I thought I had celiac disease in my late 20s, then I moved over to bourbon. Okay. And then I never really moved off of bourbon. I still love beer. I, I think beer is really great. I, I sound never like, see I sound you drink like, it. I never see you drink beer. Sound like Justice Kavanaugh during his, uh, his <laughs> hearing. I love beer. <laughs> I drink beer. But I do like beer a lot, but I feel like I'd be even fat. I'd have even a bigger gut if I drank beer a lot, especially because I like a hoppy calorie filled IPA and whatnot. So okay. it's been somewhat of a blessing to not drink beer. And yeah, I'm just not in a liquor mode. I don't I think the last time I drank might have been when we went to dinner with dad in Philadelphia. Yeah, sure. Not too which long was, ago. Well, that was like two months ago, almost two months ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to drink like every other day. <laughs> that was a nice meal. What'd you have? You had, what'd you have to drink? You had wine? No, a couple old fashions. Oh, old fashions. That's right. Yeah. Dad had wine and I had beer. Yeah. Dad drinking wine is still. That freaks you out? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. When dad just suddenly started drinking <laughs> again. Because he didn't drink like at all in my like most of my life. And then like suddenly he just started drinking wine. Yeah. Same thing with mom. I think she started drinking wine too. Yeah. Yeah. Because mom was allergic at one point to alcohol in yeah. general, right? Yeah. So she couldn't drink anything with alcoholic content. But then it started to, that specific allergy started to ease off. So. She was able to, but I don't know where she's at with that now. Again, she may be back in the realm of being, you know, makes her not feel good. She's on the wagon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dean Martin style. All right, Dave. So is there anything else that you wanted to cover on this episode? Is there anything that I didn't bring up that you feel like would be worth no, talking I think about? Everything, I think everything else was covered. I think one thing that was cool talking about Long Islanders and people with provenance from Long Island, Judd Apatow grew up in Queens, but it says in his... IMDB or on Wiki or something that he went to Syosset High School. Mm. So he might have moved to Long Island at some point too. Interesting. There's another Long Island connection with this film, which is. I wonder if that's where they met the director as well, with him having grown up in Dix Hills, which is further east. Further east, but not too far. Not too far out. And you know, the other anecdote I could talk about from this film, I saw Jonah Hill do a character, do an interview rather, about doing the Seth character. And he talks about being on set. And filming scenes with Michael Sarah and how good Michael Sarah is and how disciplined he is. And I guess apparently Michael Sarah sort of gets in a mode where he's really businesslike and he's just really on. And Jonah Hill said he spent the entire filming of this movie trying to get Michael Sarah to laugh while he's in character to basically break up the shot. You know, much to the director's chagrin, but the, Jonah Hill would try to do that a lot. He said he, he couldn't make Michael Sarah go off script or, or laugh once. Ever, no matter what he did, no matter what he said or did. At one time, Jonah Hill says he sneezed accidentally during a take, and that was the one thing that made Michael Sarah crack up. <laughs> to his great frustration. <laughs> to his consternation. And wasn't there, didn't, I don't even want to speak out of turn about this, but wasn't there like some sort of drama with Jonah Hill not too long ago where he had to like apologize about something? He said something or did something. Not that that's germane to our conversation, but I was sure. thinking about that recently. Like I remember seeing him on a, Late night show. Oh, I wish I, I wish I knew what I, what because that's like what's in my mind right now about him. Now that we're talking, that's about interesting. Him. That sound that rings true. But I, he did a he did a really big circuit interview circuit. He to publicize his film to publicize the first film he directed that mid nineties film. So he might have got caught. And I know he did a lot of hip hop related. He went on Hot ninety seven. He went on the various YouTube popular YouTube hip hop show circuits. So maybe he got himself sort of in trouble with that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but 
Yeah, nonetheless, that's uh, super bad. I think it's available streaming on Netflix, so you guys it don't is. even have to go buy it. It's also available if you want to buy it on Prime and PlayStation Store and etc. If you want, I'm sure it's on the Apple Store. But yeah, if you have Netflix, you can just go stream it. As of the time we are recording this, that it's might been not be on true. and off Netflix for months, but right now it's on. Yeah, I was, surprised, I was pleasantly surprised by that just because I'm used to buying things. And I have no pro- problem doing that. It's not a big deal. As long as there are va- things are available to rent and not buy, not buy to own digitally like I had to buy Aladdin, which yeah, I'm never going to watch. Again. Literally never going to watch that movie again. <laughs> Come on, so. you'll watch it again. <laughs> but I don't even remember like where it is. Like I'm going to go through my PlayStation Store library in 15 years and be like, oh, yeah, I bought Aladdin in 2019. It's highway robbery to charge people to buy digital movies. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make I any really sense. I think it is. That's annoying to me. That it actually annoys me because I think the same thing happened. I wanted to watch The Omen a few weeks ago and you have to like buy it. I'm like, I'm not fucking buying this. Why can't you just rent it to me? Even if it's like $10 to rent it, just tell me it's rent. I don't want to own it. You know? Yeah, I wonder what the percentage is. Let's say you buy a film. What's the percentage that you're, a digital copy? What's the chances you're going to watch it more than once? I don't know. I, unless it's something for a child or right. something that eminently sense. watchable. I don't know. Even if I rented like Save a Private Ryan or bought something like that. I don't understand buying digital That's things. That's a hard movie to watch. I don't understand buying digital things, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand. But you but you like to buy digital games. Yeah, game. but even they're starting to work around that with Game Pass and all these different things sure. now. Sure, Gears of War 5 just prominently came out and bombed on the sales charts. And the reason apparently for that is because no one's buying it because they just have Game Pass for $10 a month. <laughs> yeah. Know? Which makes sense. So I think we're even starting to get around. It's true. You're right. I do buy digital games, but it's more the downloading of the game that's that's relevant. And also, since there's no latency problem with watching something, it's not as as big of an issue. But yeah, I don't understand the whole buy digital because at that point, I'll just buy the Blu-ray or something if I really wanted to. But right. I, don't, I don't want that either. So I just want to rent. Just let me rent it. I'll watch it in 1080p. You let me stream it. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everyone's happy. Everyone's fine. And everybody's making a little money. You don't, yeah, have to kill, little... you don't have to kill people over it. Right. Not a big deal. You know, Everyone's I mean, fine. There's nothing to worry about. You know what I mean, Jelly There's nothing to worry about. <laughs> well, let me ask you one more question. Please. Because we, you know, the Slater and Michael's characters are so beloved to us in this film. What would you think of doing a spinoff movie just based on those two characters? That would be pretty cool. I would like surprised they didn't do that. I would be pretty. I was surprised that they apparently, I think it was Jonah Goldberg was the only one interested in doing a sequel, as I recall to the movie to like a proper sequel and they poo-pooed it like I don't think anyone wanted anything to do with it it is one of those films it would be cool to see more of those characters but it reminds me of what we were talking about in the Big Lebowski conversation when we were talking about how uh, John Totoro wanted it or they he got basically a green light to do something maybe with Jesus and that, we were talking about how that kind of sucks because it ruins the mystique of it like that Superbad is just about that one day in the lives of all those people and that's basically it maybe it should be a little more sacrosanct and be left alone but with the combination of characters that, you know, with Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, I, I don't think that would be anything less than stellar. Oh, they're 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 amazing. They're amazing as individuals and they're wonderful together. They're just so funny. And like this, the complete recklessness of those cop characters is <laughs> it's 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 wonderful. It's it's in, in a time. I don't know. Maybe this is a little melodramatic, but in a time where everyone is so has so much hostility or a lot of people have so much hostility towards police officers. And certainly these are the kinds of cops that shouldn't be on the beat. But it makes you laugh at them in a good way as opposed to being like incensed by something a cop did or whatever, you know, which is kind of the the du jour. The, yeah, I understand that. You know, I, I wanted mean? to get your take on one more thing. Please. I've been thinking about this since we've been talking about the movie. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, right? Famous writing partners. They're in business together. They do a lot of projects together. But Seth Rogen is obviously the front man. He's the guy in front. He's the actor. He's in front of the camera. 
Sort of reminds me of the View Askew days with Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier, mm. where Kevin Smith was always the front man and Scott Mosier was always the sort of the quote unquote silent partner or the unseen partner. How do you think those guys feel with the other guy in the limelight? You know, and they're yeah. sort of they're sort of the ones that are on the other side of the camera. I think I can kind of relate to it a little bit, not on the level of these AAA movie actors, but. My relationship with Greg, I think, was somewhat similar when we were at iGen and kind of oh, funny where he kind of got a lot of the limelight and wanted a lot of the limelight. And I was happy to give it to him. I was much more happy being, you know, reserved and being kind of, you know, so, I don't know. I don't want to say the, the brains. That's not because that's demeaning to Greg. I don't mean it like that. But the, the, the kind of the way it was like I was kind of the 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 straight man and the operator. Right. Yeah. And that was fine with me. And I so I would like to think that in these relationships that people find themselves in that. Maybe it's something similar where they're perfectly content. I mean, first of all, those guys are millionaires. So sure. if money buys happiness and Ben Affleck suggests in Boiler Room that uh, anyone who said the money is the root of all evil never had any. Of course, one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> so I Good think movie. that that, you know, if someone was like, hey, listen, you're going to split the money on this production 50-50. Do you really give a fuck? Because for me, I'd be like, great. I don't have to do fucking studio. I don't have to do tours. I don't have right. to be on fucking Jimmy Kimmel or whatever. I don't have to do all this, this shit. I, I, to me, I'd be like, that, that's great. That's like what I would want. Works for me. Like and and the people who are in the know know that I'm kind of one of the brains of the operation or like it, it happens through me, too. And so as long as vanity doesn't get in the way, then what, who, what do I care? Yeah. So I, I would that's through my own lens. But I feel like that would be what I would want. So and what I've kind of built for myself in a way is to like kind of be I don't want to really be the center of attention. That's the role in which you're most comfortable. Yeah, because it's still you're still like an operator, like I said, and you're still getting things done and you're still making your money and, and you're still essential to the operation. It just doesn't have to be about you. Creative. I don't I don't like when it's about it always has to be about someone or be about a person. Right? Yeah, I, I like I like being a little more in the back and being a creative force. I'm a super creative person, but it doesn't have to be about me. So I, maybe they have a similar situation, similar setup to the, the one that Greg and I used to enjoy. Yeah, I like that. I like that comparison. Yeah, that that works. And again, I don't mean it in a demeaning way towards Greg in case anyone takes. It no, out. you guys are just you guys were different personalities. He enjoyed being the forward facing. Yeah, guy. yeah, definitely. So th that made sense. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those kinds of maybe those guys have more of a problem with that. But I don't think so, because I think that they probably could have asserted themselves more if they had wanted to. They just don't want to. And I can and that I can relate to, because how great is it when you don't have to be on a plane for two weeks going to all these different shows and these junkets and shit like that or more than that. I mean, it probably sucks. Yeah. You take that component out, not having to do that. It, I would say it leaves more time for the creative. Definitely. And the back end stuff, which would me be more enjoyable for me too, personally. Our, our dynamic, you and me means that I have to be the front facing one out of the two of us really, which is, well, you though, you're the one that people know. Right. Exactly. But that so what I'm saying is the dynamic shifts based on the people that are involved in it, which is which is totally fine and and totally reasonable. But yeah, I would imagine. I mean, as being a person who was on the other side of junkets sometimes when I was interviewing, when I got to interview some movie stars and filled in for stuff at IGN or whatever, when I had to do that at WonderCon or whatever. Yeah, it's a conveyor belt, man. Those people are asked the same shit over and over and over and over again. They have to answer it over and over and over again. That's why you see a lot of testy exchanges, which. I don't like when those things are well sometimes it's interesting and funny and insightful but like yeah. I don't blame it I blame them when like they're totally over some of these journalists and this questions that are being asked and they have no patience for them anymore yeah not that you have to go like Christian Bale and go fucking psycho on the sound guy or anything like that but <laughs> which is a great which is oh another oh my god that was that was telling uh, well let me ask you a yeah. question about that Kyle because you could speak to this mm -hmm. do the journalists have any wherewithal do they have any power to come up with their own 
or are they kind of force fed the questions that they have to ask? Is there any room for creativity going into a situation where like you, you interviewed Green Day? Right. How much room did you have to say, can I just ask them what I want to ask them here? I'm going to ask them this is can I get your approval on it? Let me try something thoughtful. Yeah, the, the the lesson in journalism, from my experience, is always to ask for forgiveness. So I worked in a bunch of questions with Green Day that I had every intention of asking them, regardless of if I've had permission or not, because okay. I was curious. Yeah, I think some people try to ask. It depends on how you're framing your interview. Some people like interviews that are uncut and they're just publishing them as are as is. And so they have to like get some interesting stuff out of them. That's about the dynamic stuff in the film and important stuff like the release date and whatever the case might be while yeah. other people are trying to just get quotes for a story they're writing. So I think it depends on the journey and, and also the cleverness of the journalists. I think that it was always a unique experience to me when I was at a junket, when I interviewed the guys from Terminator or when I interviewed Green Day or when I, whenever, whatever the case might be for these various one-off things that I did, it was like a new experience and an interesting, when I like went to the Jericho panel for the show, cause I love Jericho so much and was able to like interact with them for a little while. It was exciting for me because I was in, in that world very much like I would imagine I kind of got tired of going to Sony Santa Monica after a while when I was at IGN. Like, how many fucking times am I going to come to the studio, talk to the same people, ask the same questions, yeah. see a lot of the similar games, same. But if I threw you into that situation, it would probably be pretty fun for you because you never did it before. Yeah, as a first timer. So I think journalists get... I think journalists get a little... I don't know. There's like a melancholy around journalism, I think, in terms of like, I don't know that it should be a real career for a lot of people. I feel like it's a I feel like it should be a stop. OK, because it's so important as a conduit between the information you want and the, and the person giving you the information that you should have people just like any walk of life, really. But it's so important to have people that are in it for the right reasons and that are portraying themselves honestly and that are giving forth the, the information through a, the most honest and fair lens. Yeah. And once you're not able to do that anymore, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And and that's true if you're a fireman and you and you just don't want to <laughs> your back hurts or whatever, you, you know, you just can't best. do. It. Yeah, exactly. So I don't mean the shit on journalists. I was one. But that the point is, is that I was one and I'm not anymore. Yeah, because I was getting tired of it, too. I was like, I don't want to do this. anymore. You evolved out of it. Well, that's just being true to yourself as well. Right. So what I'm saying is, yeah, when you're when you're on both sides of the conveyor belt of a junket, it probably yeah. sucks. Uh, I. I the the fifth time, sixth time, tenth time I went to E3, I wanted to fucking kill myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just the straight up truth. But the first time I went to E3, I, I couldn't sleep when I was at E3. I loved it. You loved it so much. By, the, by my last E3 in 2017 or 2016, I think my last E3 was, I was like, no, nah, I'm never coming to this Just because it's so samey? It's just the same thing over and over again. My second Gamescom or second Tokyo Game Show or even stuff where I was like, oh, yeah, maybe someone more excited should be here. It you becomes know? a meat grinder. At that yeah, point. Exactly. Yeah, I am. That's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting conversation. I appreciate that perspective because I have no idea about that kind of stuff. Well, that's why I like podcasting because I don't get tired of it. I like podcasting because it's just the art of conversation. I've, I'm really good at this and you definitely I are. have a passion for it. If I didn't have a passion for this anymore, if I didn't want to sit across from you or across from Chris or whatever the case may be, I wouldn't do it really because I owe it more. Mo I owe the audience like the best use of their time. So I think that's all kind of interconnected in some way. Absolutely. Very well said. Yeah. So, Dave, do you want to wrap things up? Yes, please. With uh, your traditional dad jokes. We're going to. Well, first. Oh, yeah. First, I'm sorry. Our new segment, a light segment. It's a segment light for the closing of. I forgot. Batch I'm 10. sorry. No, that's OK. Riddle me this. Right, of course. Quick riddle based on the fact that Colin and I, Colin and I are both not very adept at solving riddles. No, we're not as intelligent as you I think. might even be worse than Colin because just because I'm not as intelligent as Colin, but we're both bad at this. So we're both going to try to solve a riddle. I have a list of about 20. I have more than that, but I think I'm going to pull from 20 for this for this batch. 
And I don't know the answers. I have an answer key. I did see one answer accidentally last time, so I deleted it. So I will be trying to solve it as well as Colin. Kyle, mm. this riddle. Okay. I think I'm going to go with this one. And I have no idea. This is riddle number six on the list. The one who makes it always sells it. The one who buys it never uses it. The one who uses it never knows he's using it. All right, I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I... The one who makes it always sells it. The one who buys it never uses it. The one who uses it never knows he's using it. Let me put it this way to you. Okay. If someone was like, your life depends on this answer. Are you getting this right? I'd be like, you might as well just kill me right now. Really? I might buckle down and try to apply myself. I don't even, I don't know. It's like, I hate, I hate riddles. I hate them. They're really tough. They're so hard. I don't know why they so they, they expose me for the intellectual fraud that I am. <laughs> you know what I think turned me on to riddles? The Hobbit. Oh. When Gollum is asking Bilbo in the caves, you know, they make a deal. You know, I'll, you got to give me the ring, right? That's what it is. Gollum tells Bilbo he's got to give him the ring if he could solve a riddle, right? Right. Or he's got, that's, and I, those riddles are relatively easy and I still couldn't get those. All right. So this is. Just imagine what the Riddler would do to you. For you guys out there, the one who makes it always sells it. The one who buys it never uses it. The one who uses it never knows he's using it. I mean, this is so vague. I, I don't have any don't fucking have... idea. There's like no hint in uh, like to Wait, what it could be. I don't know if this is fair. Hold on. I just saw the answer, but now I'm... Oh, no, this is... All right, well, what is, right. Is the, what is okay, the answer? Okay, the answer is a coffin. Oh, okay. Right? I would have never gotten that. So No, that's hard. The one who makes it always sells it. The one who buys it never uses it. And the one who uses it never knows he's using it. It's actually pretty clever. I like, it is, but... I actually like it, but I, I would have I don't want to think too literally about it. Never I mind. could say I would have thought about that for the next 24 hours and still wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> oh, it would have driven me, driven me mad. That's what why is I, the power of solving a riddle? What is the, the, the organ that we're missing? I don't patience because I, 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 it's just like I said in the last episode, if something is, conf- if I confront something that I don't, I can't look at and immediately understand or like know that I'll be able to work my rant out. I'm like, fuck it. I don't want to do this. Yeah. That's I've always been like that. Wit that's why I'm bad at math. That's why I'm bad at all the other. I'm like, fuck it. I don't even care. I don't want to do this. It doesn't come natural to me. There's other things to do. Can you believe Lily is an algebra one? My daughter's an algebra one. She's just started seventh grade. Can you believe that? That's algebra two in 12th grade. I don't think I even got that far. You know that? Maybe I got to algebra. Two. I think you had to take algebra. Two. Oh, I did anyway. To the regents. For the re- okay, so I had to get that far. But I waited. I took algebra one in ninth grade, and I took algebra two in twelfth grade. Wow. Yeah. Never got to calc. <laughs> Never got. To fucking any of that kidding stuff. me? I, in in college, I was in idiot math. <laughs> me too. I think. Yeah. And well, was it a, an elective? Style? Yeah. I yeah, had, yeah. Well, I had to do it. Yeah. I yeah, needed you like had one to math have something. Yeah. Well, yeah, so she's she's cruising right along. Yeah, so she I, is. I've never had patience for... It's why I'm not good with mechanical things or tools, building, anything that requires <laughs> some level of patience, I guess. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. I'm I have a storyteller. You have patience for something. I think everybody has patience for something. Like, I have patience for animating. Could animate... I could look at a scene. I can animate a two-second scene all week. You know, that's 24 frames, 48 frames, whatever it is. Right. No patience for it. I think all my patience goes into that one thing. If you, yeah, if you, you do have patience for something. I, all my patience goes into reading the illiterate shit people write into us for me to try to. <laughs> no, for sacred symbols. Yeah, for sacred symbols. Not Never you guys. Oh, no. Not you guys. No. <laughs> so 
Yeah, are we going to do one more riddle? No, or do we let's only do not one do any more riddles. I don't want to aggravate I'm, you I'm, anymore. I'm, I'm you're, me, you're already giving me the death between, stare over Between there. the poop and the and the riddle, I'm taxed. You've had it. I need You've to. Definitely I need it. to just just fucking relax. You know what I mean? Relax the mind. Relax the sphincter. <laughs> relax all of it. Kyle. Yes. Let's close with a dad joke. Please. All right. This is. You don't have to do anything except listen. I'd love to do that. How do you organize? An outer space party. How do you organize an outer space party? You guys out there? Is it something to do with satellites? Something like that? I don't know. What is it? What is the answer? You plan it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good one. I like that one. That's a pretty good one. It's cute. Yeah. I like the cute ones. That's a good one. I it's want, hard. I Dad jokes are hard because... I don't, you don't, you don't want it to be crude, really. You want it to be pure and sort of innocent, but you also want it to be funny. That's a hard balance to strike. There's so many of them, too. I feel like there's an infinite amount of them. Oh, there's so many. Dude, the fact that I look for lists of dad jokes and always find a new list every time we do a batch. It's a good sign. It's a good sign. Don't you guys go on Google. You'll get all the answers. I try to dig deep a little bit with mine. You go to the fourth or fifth page of results. Right. But they could do that just as easy. Yeah, that's true. So don't. Yeah, don't. Don't. Don't even look. <laughs> Good job, Kyle. Good job. Thank I, you. I know you're not feeling the best. Oh, no, I'm okay. You brought it. I did my best. This kid brings it, guys. I mean, you <sighs> think it's you easy what? sitting across from this son of a bitch? Gotta look at this face. Sons of bitch. Look at this face. <laughs> Sons of bitch. Sons we have so many people saying that, which is great. Sons of bitch. Yeah, it's totally... It's the best. It's a great and un- unnecessary thing to say to someone. Sons of bitch. <laughs> I still don't know where I got it from or where we got that from. It's, it's from something. It's brilliant. It's awesome. We'll just say we made it up. It's from Perfect Strangers, I think. I would love if that was actually true. <laughs> if Balky called, uh, what was the what was the straight guy's name? Like the straight to the comedic Cousin guy, Cousin Larry. Cousin Larry, right? Cousin Balky Lally. calls Larry a sons. He's a sons of bitch. And <laughs> Larry's he, like, you don't speak English very good. From you're from a fake Mediterranean country, and it's what like were a big the girlfriend's joke. names. They were flight attendants. Yeah, I don't remember the, their names at all. They were kind of hot. And they were both blondes, right? They were kind of now we do the dance of joy. Die, 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 die. <laughs> Man, I didn't realize you were like a. Oh, dude, perfect! Kidding me? I didn't realize that you were that much of a fan of Perfect Strangers. Huge. huge. Do you know that today is the? Uh, I was reading. I follow this '80s Twitter account. It's like the best of the '80s or something like that. And it's the. I want to say the 30th. Is it the 30th? Yeah, anniversary of my two dads. Wow. Yeah. I haven't thought of that show. Starring, in a of while. course, Stacey Keenan. What's up with her? I don't know. I don't Wait, know what did she's she doing. Pass? I don't think so. I hope not. Oh, wait. I, I'm going to look it up real quick. I've said before that I had the biggest crush on the three girls on Step by Step. Like, you wouldn't even believe. When I met Al, uh, what was her name? Al. Uh, what was her real name? I can't remember. I met her. I was like, oh, my God. It's you. <laughs> no, it says she's alive. Yeah, I was going to say. Hey, like, she lives in Devon, PA. Somebody we know lives in Hey, Devin. real quick. You're on yeah. her. Go to her filmography. Okay. There's a movie from like 1989, 1990. It's called like Anna or something like that that she stars in. She's pretty. Can you can you find? Yeah, she's she's hot. She really looks good. Um, it's about her playing like a weird stalker, like a weird teenage stalker of this older man. It's a really weird movie, and what I watched year? it. Like ni- it looked like 88, 89, 90, 91, somewhere in there. What's it called? I thought it was, it's like a girl's name, like Anna Lisa, something like that. I'm gonna give you all the movie titles I see. Hold on. This is Stacey Keenan. Stacey Keenan. There's nothing called Lisa or something like that. Yes, there? here it is. 1990, Lisa. Yeah, that's a weird movie. If people want to go to ch- title, Candlelight Killer. If you want to check that, that's a I want that was like when Netflix's streaming started, but they had like nothing on it that was like any good. 
in like 2009 or whatever, 2010, I watched that movie and I was like, that is a weird ass movie to watch that probably never, no one's ever seen of Stacey Keenan post My Two Dads, but pre Step by Step. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. actually really interesting. I forgot about her. Yeah. She was kind of like a little bit of a star for a little while. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, She, she and the other two uh, Lambert girls were uh, easy on the eyes. Let's say. Okay. Absolutely. Now, wait, does, 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 I don't want to blow up Dustin. Dustin lives in Pennsylvania. Is it okay if I say the town he lives in? Uh, well, I don't know if I know the town he lives in, but she lives in Devon, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's not where he lives. Okay, all right. Uh, I don't know if he's comfortable. Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where. I want to put your fucking address on I the show do. next well, he time. He could always edit it out. That's that's a good point, right? Oh, that's a great point. So say say it. Say oh, well, he lives in. I don't uh, know where he lives. He lives in Butler. Oh, Butler. Okay, so it's not Devon. Butler, Pennsylvania. And go, what's his go address? Go find <laughs> Dustin, and his address is. <laughs> If you want it, he loves when people stop by, say hello to him. <laughs> He'll have you over for dinner. He, yeah, he he's a very accommodating, very infinitely accommodating. You need a place to stay. He's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he's he going to edit this out. Oh, see if he edits this out. I want to see. It's out. a test. He's a little bit. He's a little bit of. He's a fresh sometimes. He's a little fresh. Yeah, that's good. He has to deal with you. I I I support that. Well, here's the thing about Dustin. Okay. He's a very hard worker and he's great. But we have a good rapport in the sense that he knows I don't want to talk to anyone. Right. And he just does his work and that's it. And I pay him. And that's, you know, he gets paid more than on time. I send him all the stuff he needs on time. We correspond very little and it's great. So everyone wins. You know, it's the perfect working relationship. That's why I hope he never goes anywhere. See, he can demand like exorbitant amounts of money out of me. Okay, I should probably shut this recording off. I, I want to see if he's gonna. I, I knew you weren't even listening to me because you were like, out. okay. I'm, I'm listening to this episode for sure. He he won't he won't uh he won't cut it he won't dare. Well, he's getting a little bit of shine right now. We're he is. About he the loves editor. it. He loves it when he loves when everyone talks about him. Stop being so greedy for fame. You're such an asshole. Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dig. I think we should wrap it up, please. Uh, that's it for our episode on Superbad. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your love, your kindness, and your support. And we'll see you next time for more knockback. Goodbye. This was super good. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Knockback is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded in Santa Monica, California and the Philadelphia suburbs of Pennsylvania, USA. The show is produced by me, Colin Moriarty, and was conceived of by myself and Dagan Moriarty, who is also my co-host. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan1973 and on Instagram at DaganLikesToDraw. Knockback is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. As you know, all things Collins Last Stand, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Martin Beck, Tyler Bellow, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Andrew Bonnell, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Nick Calloway, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Jeremy Cochran, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, David Ellis, 
Lance, Liam Fagan, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H, Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphrey, Stephen Insler, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jagger, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Sharo Kadir Hama Kareem, Anton K, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Kenneth Kopnick, Joshua Koga, Andre Kojatska, Ron Krauskopf, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, David Mann, Matt Martin, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Philip J. Melk, Andrew Mendoza, Matthew Miller, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Alex Schutt, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Ren Todd, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Hugo's Desk, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Scott, Rainick, and Donk2015.